that which dwells within, Holy Spirit. This is our third or fourth week now. I forget exactly where, uh, where we're at. Um, this is a message that I hope you stay with me on. And, and it could be confusing to some people, but it's so true and so important in the life of a believer. Most of us would say that we want to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all that I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all that I ask is to be like him. In order to be like Jesus, there are a number of things that we need to be, a number of things that we need to do. Before we get into the message, though, let me have a word of prayer with you. Father God, hmm. Seems like our time just kind of flies, and we were worshiping you, and God, we would like to continue in that. And but Lord, there there is a word that I believe that you have for all of us. A very important work that you want all of us to enter into. And Holy Spirit, we are speaking to you. I am speaking directly to you, Holy Spirit, this morning, asking, number one, that you would uh, uh, fill this vessel, fill this messenger with your power. Fill me with your words. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with your heart. May I speak what you want me to speak. May it go forth in power and in strength. Not because I'm saying it, but because, Holy Spirit, you are saying it. I also pray for an anointing over this body of believers, Lord, in every pew, every aisle, every seat, up in the crow's nest, to the sound booth, to all the way up here on stage. Holy Spirit, would you cover this place? Would you speak to all of us? And I pray that we would all open our hearts and hear what you would have to say. Thank you that your word is true. It's powerful. It's alive and it pierces to the very bone, marrow, and the very spirit of who we are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us would want to say that we want to be like Jesus, and in order to do that, we need to do a number of things. We need to have the power to overcome, amen? Amen? We need to have the power to overcome. We need God to help us in our relationships. We need spiritual dedication to stick to our various disciplines. What do I mean by that? I think all of us could go around here and say at times in our lives we've had difficulty in reading our word and getting on our knees and praying in just the various basic disciplines of our lives. We need help in those areas of our life. We need to live lives of holiness We need to display the fruits of the Spirit. We need to be people of unity. We need to be people of purity. If we want to experience the fullness of the Spirit-filled life and live as Christ would have us live, these are just some of the things that we need to do. But realize that none of these things that I listed for you can be experienced How do I say this? On our own, they are all works of the Holy Spirit in us. Somebody say amen to that. They are all works, which is why we're going into this. These are all works of the Holy Spirit in us. So you might be asking if 
We, you and I, if we cannot make these things happen, how on earth can we experience them? Well, it all goes back to what we talked about last week in preparation. But now the question is, how does one prepare themselves? That's what I want to go into today. But realize something, none of these things or the fullness of a Christ-centered life will come easy. They will not come easy. Why is that? Because as we pursue them, we will often run into conflict. A conflict of what we want versus what the Spirit of God wants. Today, the first half of this message, I'm going to play more teacher than I am preacher, but then I may transition into the preacher mode. Those of you who have been in our home know who this next person is. Oh, that is our dog, Max, at home. And I want to just give you a a little picture into our world with Max. There are a uh, number of things that we love about Max. Max, as most dogs, is extremely loyal, a very loyal dog. Uh, One of the things that I love is every time I open the door, the first person there is not my wife or my kids, but the first person there is my dog, Max. Always there to greet me and love on me and jump on me and all that. And Max is very forgiving. Uh, Whenever uh, the relationship gets to be a little tense at times at home with our dog, and uh, he always comes back, he's always very forgiving. However... There are a number of things that this cute, white, furry little thing behind me does that is absolutely disgusting. (laughs) And some of you can identify with some of this. One of the things that he does is he licks the dirty plates in the dishwasher. How many of you have a dog that does that? Yeah, some of you does that. On occasion, he will solicit his business in places where soliciting is off limits. Um, And one of the things that just drives us nuts, when he's not getting enough attention, he will go around the house and find any trash can he can and just dig into it and just rip it to shreds. Yeah. And another thing that he does that we just cannot stand, he, he itches and he scratches and he does what dogs do, and then he proceeds to take his paw and he sticks the entire paw in his mouth to clean it. Any of you have dogs that do things like that? Yes, you do. <laughs> and our dealings with this, just, these things just drive us crazy. And our, our dealings with him, sometimes we think and act like he should be a human. And we expect him not to do these things. Sometimes we forget that he is a dog and that is his nature. He was born with this nature. He was born to act like a dog. Now, we could do a number of things to try and change this. We could take him to obedience school, take him to dog training. We could try and invite Caesar Milan to our house, the dog whisperer, and try and teach us as many. And he would probably tell us we're the ones that are the problem, I would think. See, we could do all these things, but that would only change his behavior because his nature would still be a dog. See, it wouldn't matter after all of these things that we try to do to change him, 
If left to himself, he would revert back to the very nature of what he is, which is a dog. Some of you are thinking, how on earth does this apply to the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Well, do you realize that you and I have the same problem? We might not lick dirty dishes or (laughs) we might not tear into trash cans and I don't stick my hand in my mouth. A lot of times I put my foot in my mouth many times, but I won't stick my hand in my mouth. But you and I have the same problem. We are all born with a nature. The Bible calls this nature the flesh. And this flesh is not a good thing. Listen to some of the things it says in Romans. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In Galatians says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Let me say that last line again. How many of you in your Christian experience have at times said, I do not do the things that I wish to do. This is the flesh that we were all born with. If left to ourselves, if left to ourselves, we as Christians will behave in ways totally unbecoming of Christ. This morning I'm going to begin on a major spiritual truth near and dear to me and near and dear to the church of God. In my mind, in my mind, all those things that I listed in order to be a Christ-like follower, you, you know, to do this, to do that, to do... In my mind, before we can even hit any of those things in our Christian experience, the next logical place to go to is the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctification. That is the next step that we need to go into is the work of sanctification. Now, if we just stop and if I went around to each and every individual and asked you, what is your definition of sanctification? Probably get some different opinions. Probably would get some confusing opinions. Some of you right now are thinking, okay, I've heard that word, but what exactly does it mean? I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can. But I want to begin where we need to begin so many times. Let's begin with Adam and Eve. Let's begin with Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, sin had not yet entered the world. So their hearts were what? Their hearts were perfect. Their hearts were pure. Their hearts were innocent. They were untainted And they lived in the purest form possible. So they had that perfect and sinless state. And just for our demonstration this morning up on the screen, that line, if you can see it, it's a little uh, faint there, that line represents Adam and Eve's sinless and perfect state. And God created them. What a place to be. Put yourself in their shoes in the garden. What an incredible place to be. Totally pure. Totally innocent. But then it happened. 
sin entered the world and everything changed and changed forever because of Adam and Eve's decision. This is not my words, but because of Adam and Eve's decision, every human being born after them would be, would be born with that sinful nature. Also called the carnal nature, also called the flesh. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man meaning Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Before we talk about sanctification, though, we need to talk briefly about sin, which I believe exists in two forms. Let's talk about the first one. The first one is what is called the inherent sin. This is what I've been talking about for the first few minutes of the message. It's that sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. It's called inherent for a reason. The word inherent is defined as anything that is intrinsic, innate, built in, inborn, ingrained. This is what we acquired from Adam and Eve. Within Christianity, it's also described as the carnal nature or also described as the flesh. It's that inward bent to do wrong. It's that anti-God nature. It's that nature that puts man first. It's that attitude that says, don't tell me what to do because I'm going to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. Everyone is born with that. I believe I referred to this in another message, but if you're not sure about that, just go into the nursery right now and you will see that inherent nature coming out. That's my toy. I'm going to take it and you can't have it. It's just naturally given to every human being the psalmist said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He's not talking about the inappropriate relationship that took place in the conceiving process. No, he's talking about the nature that he was born into. You see, as soon as we are born, we acquire this nature, this disease, and right off the bat, you can see that thin arrow there. But right off the bat, we are one degree, one step below Adam and Eve's sinless state. You with me so far? Say amen. Okay. Right away, as soon as we were born, that's where we were at. This leads us to the second definition or second form of sin, and that is actual sin. That is those known willful disobedient sins. These sins, all of us know full well about. Once someone comes to the age of accountability, once they understand right and wrong, and we willingly, knowingly enter into those acts that are disobedient, that go against God, whether it be stealing, whether it be lying, might be cheating, might be deception, Whatever it might be, there are acts in which we knowingly and willfully commit. And once we begin to commit that, then we are again one more step away from this sinless, perfect 
state, two steps, two degrees below Adam and Eve's sinless state. Now, just follow me. Some of you are probably thinking, I've never heard it described like this before, but it'll make sense. So you can see the two different sins takes us two steps below Adam and Eve's perfect state. But praise God, I believe that from the creation of the world, God had a plan to restore mankind. Amen? He had a plan. From that first fateful day in the garden, God desired to restore mankind. Now, since mankind is now two steps beneath Adam and Eve's perfect, sinless state, out of necessity there must be two steps back towards restoration. The first step is salvation. That did not show up very well there at all. I apologize for that. That red word is salvation. The time when we acknowledge the sin in our lives, we believe and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We repent and ask Him to forgive us of our sins. And salvation takes care of those actual sins. That's why it's on the same level there. Um, salvation takes care of those actual sins, those individual acts that we knowingly and willingly committed. Once salvation takes place, we move up one degree, eliminating our actual sins as though they had never happened, church. Praise God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Notice that the word in that is plural. If we confess our sins, plural, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, plural. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, plural, from us. Praise God. This is what salvation does. However, as you can see from the screen, we are still after salvation. We are still left with that inherited nature, that carnal nature, that Flesh. Now hear me out on this. This is the cause of so much defeat in someone's Christian experience today. As we said from the beginning, in our carnal nature, in our flesh, if we allow that to rule, we can easily drift back into a life of disobedience. We can easily drift back into a life of sin, with no power, no ability to conquer and live victoriously. Some of you may be thinking, how does he know this? This is something I may, I've never even heard of before. How, how does he know this is what's going on? Stay with me. I think we can see the truth in the Scriptures. If you want to see it with your own eyes and not just on the screen, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't want to do everything for you today. I want you to dig a little bit too. Listen, we can see this truth evidenced in Scripture. Look at the disciples. Before the day of Pentecost, the disciples' lives lacked power. They lacked authority. Look at the life of Peter, impetuous, impatient, impulsive. Those are just some of the words that describe Peter. Peter was reckless. 
Always there to do what he thinks he needs to do, but never having the power to really do it. Saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not die. Do not speak like that, for I will go with you and I will die with you if I have to. And within a few hours after saying those words, Peter himself turned and ran away because he had no power. We can see this early in people's lives. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first three verses says this, And I, Paul said, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? If you look at some of those key words, brethren, Carnal, babes, you are still carnal. And rhetorically, I ask you, who is Paul talking to? He's talking to believers in Jesus Christ. He's talking to believers. So we know that the carnal nature is able to still exist even after a salvation experience. And look what was happening within their midst. Look what was happening to cause Paul to give this message. There was envy, there was strife, and there were divisions. Oh, hear me out on this. So many times, especially in a young believer's life, they'll notice that there are still some things that they may struggle with from time to time. Maybe it's a temper. Maybe it's their language or swearing Maybe it's some kind of vices against the body, smoking or drinking. They just have a hard time letting go. Perhaps there's some secret sins that no one really knows about, secret sins of lust or pornography. Perhaps they have battles with the mind. There's an author named George Scott, and he wrote just a few sentences here. He said this about his experience. I knew Jesus... And he was very precious to my soul. But I found something in me that would not keep sweet and patient and kind. I did what I could to keep it down, but it was there. See, what he is speaking of is that flesh, that carnal nature that was still rolling and reigning within. He knew Jesus. He had a salvation experience with Jesus. But he couldn't understand why he was struggling. You see, you lack the power and the ability to stop some things in your life. And this will cause defeat. This will cause discouragement in your Christian walk, church. If you just look at the parable of the soils, I believe that it can even cause some to walk away from the faith altogether. Look, this is especially true in a a young believer's life, when someone who really has not much knowledge about the Word of God, but they know that they need Jesus, they know that there's something wrong in their heart and they want Jesus to come in, forgive them of their sins, and to live in their heart, but they don't understand of this other work. 
And as I said last week, I don't know that I'll get a bunch of amens on this, but it's it's the truth. As I said last week, I believe carnality, the flesh, is public enemy number one in the church. It's public enemy number one in our churches today. Our churches are filled with people who may have had a salvation experience with Jesus, but they still have a battle with the flesh. What do I mean by that? There are people that still want their own way. Maybe they're easily angered. Maybe they're easily provoked. Maybe they're easily offended. And because of that, envy and strife and divisions are taking place in our churches today. And they're causing divisions. And I declare to you today that whenever we see strife and anger and division within the church, someone or someones are allowing carnality and the flesh to rule and reign in their heart. And then what's interesting, not only does carnality, and again, carnality can exist in the life of a believer. I didn't say that. Paul just said that in Corinthians. What then happens in the life of a church and a believer when envy and strife and division take place and there's arguments and feuding and fighting, carnality then will cause a heart to say, well, it's not my fault they deserve. And I'm just going to go on and I'm not going to talk to that person because they deserve it. And see, that's what carnality does. To live a life led by the Holy Spirit, we must, we must be people who are broken and humble before God. Amen. That's what living a sanctified, holy life is. And whenever something happens in the church, We need to humble ourselves, even if we don't think that we've done anything wrong. And we need to go to that person and we need to make it right. We need to say, look, I don't know what happened. Obviously, I think I did something. I've got to tell you, um, within my first, when I left here 10, 12 years ago to go to Winchester, Kentucky, and that was a big thing for me, uh, to be in charge of, of a big church and the entire music. And, man, I was just overwhelmed. I was scared to death. I wanted to be back in Sugar Creek selling furniture at Andrews and leading music here. That's but. I knew God had called me, and within, I think it was within the first couple weeks, there was um, an individual who was running the sound down there that evidently I did something to offend them. You know who I'm talking about, honey? And I'm thinking, great. The last thing that I want to do when I first get into a new place is to offend and upset people. I'm just trying to create relationships here and just... Now, I'll be honest with you, the way this individual reacted towards me was angry. They acted in a very unsanctified, unholy manner. And there was a part of me that said, we like to fold our arms sometimes, don't we, Luis? <laughs> it's a part of me that said, hey, I'm just a new kid on the block. I didn't do anything wrong. That's his problem. He's just going to have to get over it. But the Spirit of God said, take your arms down. Go to Him. 
And I asked if I could have a meeting with him, and I went to his house. And I said to this individual, I said, look, I don't know what I've done. I said, but I've done something to offend you, and I'm so sorry. Can we work through this? You know, when the Spirit of God is at work, things just work out. And he forgave me for something I didn't even know I did. But that's what I'm talking about, church. That's what I'm talking about, family of God. We are a family. Stephanie and I at times will argue and fight, but you know what? We're a family. We love each other. We humble ourselves and we we make it right because the Spirit of God is in us. That's what we do as a family of God. You think we're not going to have times when we offend each other? You think there's not going to be times when I'm not going to offend you uh, unknowingly or whatever, or you me? That's just life. As spiritually and as loving as I can, get over it. (laughs) And allow God to get in you and get over it. Let's just get on with the work of building the church of God. But see, you can't do that. I mean, that sounds good. That restoration, that restitution sounds wonderful. But I'm telling you, you cannot do that in and of yourself. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And I believe there's maybe some here today that say, man, I like that, but I'm having a hard time with that. I can't do it. I've tried. You can't do it. Let me try and catch up to where I'm at. Whew. Somebody say amen. Realize, though, carnality and the flesh is not limited to just these difficult, ugly things that sometimes happen. It can appear in seemingly innocent and harmless times in life. What do I mean by that? Remember, carnality can raise its ugly head anytime there is a battle between what you want and with what the Spirit wants. What job do I take? Where do I live? Who should I marry? These are seemingly innocent, harmless situations, but I tell you, the Holy Spirit, God wants to be Lord of those areas as well. And those are areas that we can just as easily say, God, I know you're telling me to not take this job, or or, Lord, you want me to take it, but I don't want that, God. I have another plan for my life. God, I'm in love with this person. I want to marry them. And the Spirit of God is saying, do they love me first, though? God, I, I want to live here. God has another plan. And see, carnality can raise its ugly head and we can even find those times to be times when we're in disobedience. Each time we give in to what the flesh wants, with what we want, it's a sign that the carnal nature still has a grip. Let me say that again. Anytime that we give in to what the flesh wants, with what we want, it's a sign that the carnal nature still has a grip. And many believers, many believers stay in this condition and they will struggle for years. Defeated, living shallow, nominal Christian lives. Many times we treat life like a do-it-yourself car wash. 
I experienced this a couple years ago, and uh, this is, I think I experienced this became, before I became a pastor, and, and I thought, man, this would make a good message, and this is how I knew God was laying upon my heart to maybe be a preacher and to be a pastor, but I took my car to one of those do-it-yourself car washes, and I took it through, and I washed it, and I mean, it was looking good, it was looking sweet, and I felt really good. You ever have those times where you drive through the car wash, and when you leave, the car just sounds cleaner? Yeah. Arletta, you love to clean cars, don't you? Yeah, I don't know if you knew that, but Arletta loves to wash cars. So what day can we bring our cars over to your house, Arletta? Um, but you just leave and you just feel clean. The car feels clean. But this one particular day, before I even got back to my house, it was filthy all over again. And I thought, this is just what we do so many times in life. If we're living in the power of ourselves and not in the power of the Holy Spirit... We will try to fix things ourselves. But before we can even enjoy a clean conscience, we face temptation without the power to overcome, and we find that we're all dirty all over again when we do it ourselves. That's the key. Some might just say, Well, just do more. Just work harder at trying to defeat that thing in your life. Hey, God loves me just the way that I am. He understands that I just can't help myself. And I will tell you that is a lie from the devil. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If we just justify our sinful things in our life, By just saying that's just the way that I am. No, I say that's why Jesus came to cleanse us and to save us from just the way that I am. That's why he came. That's why he came. I don't mean to keep using him as an illustration, but when you live with him for 18, 19 years, some of you would have a hard time believing, but my father-in-law said he used to have a terrible temper. Believe that? Chuck Sr. having a terrible temper? That, you know, he had a hard time controlling that. See, what happens is the Holy Spirit, and it may take time. I'm not saying it happens in one moment. It's a year-long process. We'll hit that in a second. But what happens is over time, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, you know what? All of a sudden, our personality begins to change. Those things that are not of Christ, are not of the Spirit of God, if we give in to the Holy Spirit, even those things of our Personality will begin to reflect Jesus Christ. Mm. Do it yourself, car wash. Jesus says no. Jesus says there's a better way. There's a way. Come to my car wash. Let me clean you. This is the work of sanctification. Church. It's a work that is done directly by and through the Holy Spirit. It targets our Inherent nature, our carnal nature. Here's a definition for you. If you want to get this later, you can come to me. Sanctification is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that cleanses the heart from sin so that his indwelling presence can empower the believer for life and service. Sanctification is deliverance from inner conflict, producing rest in the presence of God. It is full surrender to God and perfection in His love. You're not going to hear this message preached in too many churches. You're probably not going to hear this on too many radio programs. 
but as the truth of God's word. Sanctification is the next work in line after salvation directly, but it's, now listen, it's directly linked to salvation. Mandy, there goes my leg. I'm kicking my leg again. That's what I do when I, I do music. Listen to what this verse says. Second Thessalonians 2.13 Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through what? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 1 Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. For God did not call us to unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. We can see that the Bible says sanctification must be a work within our life. Before the work of sanctification, one struggles with their inner conflicts to do what is right, constantly being defeated by their enemy, constantly being defeated by temper, by anger, lust, vices, having their own way. But hear me out on this. Through sanctification, the Holy Spirit cleanses. He purifies. He destroys the carnal nature. It's a work done directly to and against our flesh. Now, when this happens, we will have power that we never had before. We will have power to overcome. Now, just hear me out on these next couple statements. We no longer struggle to the point that we're constantly defeated. Man, this is a message the world needs to hear, church. This is a message that people in churches all around the world need to... We are living with defeated, discouraged believers. And they need a sanctifying work in their life. We no longer struggle to the point that we're constantly defeated. We die to self and allow the Holy Spirit to take complete control. It's moving from a self-centered heart to a God-centered heart. There's no longer a battle over who's going to have their own way. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. These things can't happen in and of yourself. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Now listen. I'm not saying that we will no longer be subject to temptation. I'm not saying that. Sanctification is not a magical spiritual pill that you can take one time and you'll no longer struggle with temptation. I'm merely stating that we give the internal battle over to God and allow the Holy Spirit to come in His fullness and His power to fill us, to cleanse us, to remove whatever desires are not of God and fill us with power from on high. I'm almost done. And when this work takes place, we will then have the ability to rise above temptation and defeat the enemy. How many know that we're in the army of God? We all know that. How many know that you're soldiers in God's army? We all know that. How many of you think that God's army is going to be defeated? Well, that don't make sense. No, we are a victorious army. So let's start acting like victorious warriors in Jesus Christ. 
How do we obtain this? Listen, um, I don't proclaim to be an expert on this. You know, uh, I don't have a dissertation on this, but I've studied this in God's word and it shows up time and time again. Sometimes uh, I, I've, I've seen people come to God uh, with a vice and he, he delivers them like that. And never again do they ever have another temptation. I don't know how that happens other than the work of the Holy Spirit. They never again have to worry about that. Sometimes, sometimes people have to make it a daily dying. You hear me? It's a daily dying. In order to keep victory, we have to daily die. So how does this work of sanctification take place? Listen, it's like salvation. You admit your need. And in faith, just like the faith that you're putting in the seats that you're sitting on, but even more faith than that, in faith, give all of who you are to God and the Holy Spirit. Wave the white flag of surrender. Yield to the will of God and let him drive. Ask God and the Holy Spirit to destroy and cleanse anything inside of you that is not of him. Totally abandon any vice. Any attitude, any attitude of pride, arrogance, any object that is coming between you and God. Your future, your will, your desires, your struggles, your pride is to be crucified with God. I read you that article from a gentleman who talked about that inner struggle. Listen to the rest of his words. Let me repeat that last sentence. I did what I could to keep it down, but it was there. But I besought Jesus to do something for me. And when I gave him my will, he came to my heart and took out all that would not be sweet. (laughs) He took everything out that wasn't sweet. All that would not be kind. All that would not be patient. And then he shut the door. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. One thing more before I give you a closing illustration. This will not be a one-time thing. I do not believe that. There is such a thing as called progressive, ongoing sanctification. Sanctification does not put us out of the reach of temptation. Look what it says again. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us press on to maturity. You have to realize that we are still humans. This will be an ongoing work. But now, after this work, the Holy Spirit leading the way and filling us with power, we can have victory over that which is defeating us. This work of sanctification must be, must be, it must be, an ongoing work in your life and in my life it has to be. We must daily die, surrender, and when we do, sorry for the bad letters there, you can't see it, that sanctification defeats that inherited sin, that carnal nature. In this life, our natures will never reach the level and state of perfection that Adam and Eve once experienced. In this life, when we appear before our Lord and Savior and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, 
I believe we will be restored to a sinless, pure, innocent, what a glorious state that we're going to be ushered into. But in this life, we'll never reach that, but through the work of a sanctification, we can have victory over the flesh. Praise God. But like Paul said, we keep pressing on, becoming more and more like I want to end with a story to give you a, a practical illustration of what this looks like. Um, I'm going to ask um, Mandy, you'll come up and get ready to lead that song. Joyce, would you come up and, and play that? What is that, Mandy? 40 what? 403. Um, Joyce, page 403. Many of you won't even need it in front of you. But I close with this, and I thank you for your patience. I've, I've covered a lot of ground. I've been talking a lot. I've been talking real fast today. Let me end with this story. My mom, um, back in 1960, she graduated from high school. Mom was not walking with the Lord. Um, She grew up in the church, Bloomingdale Church of God, but she did not know the Lord. And um, being rebellious, as so many do, but Grandma and Pap Pap sent her off to Asbury College. And in her freshman year, mom got under such conviction that um, when we lived down in Kentucky, Asbury's not far from where we, we ministered in Winchester. And um, one time early on, we, we, we took a trip down to Asbury. And, and I've heard this story of mom's salvation. And I wanted to see where it took place. I wanted to walk the steps where mom found the Lord. And so we got onto Asbury and... and um, she took us down the sidewalk that is still there, and she said this one morning when she was 18 years old, she was headed to the cafeteria, and um, she was dating this guy named Rich. This guy named Rich back home. Rich was not a Christian, did not know the Lord. Mom was in love with him. Um, Grandma and Pap Pap tried to persuade her away, but they knew that was a difficult situation. They let her go off to college. Mom got under such conviction, she said in the middle of this, in the middle of this sidewalk, she turned around and she made her way back to a little chapel in Asbury. I think it was one of the original buildings in the late 1800s. And she went upstairs to the little chapel and she took us up there and that room was still there. And I'll never forget whew, that, that, that day mom took us there and we all knelt at the very spot where mom accepted Jesus Christ. And we were weeping tears of joy. What a moment in our family's life. That was mom's Salvation experience. Hear me out on this. Mom said it wasn't long after that. She knew this relationship with Rich had to change in some way, shape, or form. She shared her experience with Rich, and Rich would not accept this. And Rich was not interested in this walk with Christ. And mom wanted to marry Rich. She felt that she had a future with Rich. She accepted Christ, though. Her Savior, her new, her new Lord was Jesus, and she knew she had to follow Him. And there was a battle. That flesh. The flesh inside of mom wanted Rich. The carnal nature wanted this relationship with Rich. And there was a battle of the wills. Mom said she came to a point one night of total consecration. And she said she got on her knees 
And she gave rich to the Lord. And she said she knew there was one thing that she had to do to solidify her obedience to the Holy Spirit. She picked up a phone. She called Rich. And she said, Rich, I can no longer go on with this relationship. And Mom told me, she says, Brock, for me, that was my sanctification experience. See, she knew the Lord. She had accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. But there was now a battle of the will a battle of the flesh, a battle of what she wanted. She allowed the Holy Spirit to cleanse her, to sanctify her, and the Holy Spirit led her to making that phone call. And Mom said, Brock, I've had many sanctifying experiences since then, but that was my first sanctifying experience. Church, it's there for the taking. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I know we've covered a lot. God, I don't know how you're speaking to us. I don't know how you're speaking to everyone here. Lord, I have to believe there might be someone that needs to die to themselves and they've accepted you. They've had this experience, but this sanctifying work, they know that they need, they know that they want. There, there's a battle. There's a conflict raging within and they are tired of it. They're tired. They're worn out. It might be over one specific issue. Maybe it's an issue over who to marry, (laughs) what job to go to, where to live. Maybe it's something that is destroying their family, that's destroying their marriage. Maybe it's some hidden conflict within. Lord, I don't know what it is. But I know, I know, I know there is victory through you, Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to gain this victory, I pray that by faith they would ask you to come and cleanse them, to purify them, to eliminate. They, they would give you their wills, their hearts, their desires, their futures, their everything. It's all yours, God. It's all yours. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to say that prayer, I pray that while we sing this song, they will come forward and make it right with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Would you stand, please?